0: Welcome to Mind the Resilience, the podcast where we focus on business continuity, disaster recovery, and resilience in general. I am your host Ramki and today we have a special guest with us, Darren Lee. We'll be exploring about the importance of orchestration in disaster recovery, striking a balance between automation and human decision making, tool selection considerations, and the emerging trends shaping the future of disaster recovery. Get ready for an enlightening discussion on Mind the Resilience. Welcome everyone to Mind the Resilience podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today, Darren Lee joining us from US. He works for Cutover. So Darren Lee, how are you doing today?
1: Very good, thanks. Great to be on. Um, pleasure to be chatting with you today.
0: Thank you so much, Darren, for accepting uh, the invite and being part of the show. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to have a discussions with you because one of the favorite topics that I always have is on the orchestration, disaster recovery, So, which is like I'm fascinated about and I have a lot of uh, interesting facts about it as well. So I'm looking forward to have those discussions with you, Darren. Um, before we start our conversations, um, would you like to introduce yourself, Um I'm sure even though you are in the US, you are from UK. So please introduce yourself and um, anything interesting uh, about you apart from your professional work, maybe you can give me some information on that to my audience.
1: Yeah, no. Um, yes, no, we'll do. Um, so yes, as you quite rightly said, um, I'm a Brit living in the US. Um, this is our, our second time here. Uh, we're enjoying it lots. Um, yeah, I've done, I've done a variety of roles um, mm-hmm. throughout my primarily in technology um, and and primarily in the financial services um, sort of area arena. Um, I've run dev teams, support teams, infrastructure teams. Um, I've, uh, for my sins, witnessed a whole bunch of of disasters uh, over the time, loss of power to data centers, ransomware attacks, the whole sort Mm -hmm. of gamut of of, of activities. Um, And I'm now, as you said, now at Cutover um, Mm. and I'm for all things product relating to our resilience offering, including mm. our to market activities, mm. um, something interesting about me: um, I, I love soccer, as I now need to call it. <laughs> um, right. My my team is is Tottenham, um, and based on the first two two games of this season, we're definitely going to win the uh, the Premier League. Um, he says um, with a with a smile on his face. Um, I, yeah. I love playing soccer too. Um, Unfortunately, I uh, injured myself um, in a dad's dad's football match, so my my playing days are are, um, sadly over. But uh, I love things, soccer and football.
0: Right. How about cricket? Cricket I do
1: as well. Um, I I, I confess my my eldest son plays cricket a a little bit. Um, I I don't play, but I I do like watching it. Right. 2020 and the 100 have, have been great in the UK. Um, yes. I think there is Major League Cricket here. I'm not too sure yes. how popular it is, but um, yes. we'll have to uh, see if we can't find a match to, to, to go watch someday.
0: Right. Wow. Great. Um, so again, thank you, uh, Darren, for uh, being in my show. I'm going to have some interesting conversations with you. So let's kickstart our conversation. You told you have been working uh, as a product manager in Cutover, right? So I want to kickstart the conversations around uh, the product, right? So can you provide me an overview about the Cutover's SaaS platform and its core purpose? Um, yeah, I believe it's an uh, DR orchestration tool or even it it, it can also do uh, managed critical life uh, Enterprise events, right? So, what is the main purpose and focus of uh, Cutover's SaaS platform? Like, what are the challenges that it addresses uh, to the, uh, to, not to to the to the clients, and um, what exactly it, it brings to the table um, for everyone?
1: Yeah, so it, it's probably helpful. I just give a little bit of background about sort of formation and where yeah. we've come from. That that'll probably help explain a little bit about the platform and, and what it does. So. Um cut over the, the firm and the product, um, both both name the same, um, have been in, in existence, I guess, for a little over eight years now. Um, okay. Um, we've sold to some of the world's largest financial services organizations, but by no means are we a financial services type platform. That that is it, it's not um, it's not the only industry that, that we serve, but it is it is one of the primary ones. it's mm-hmm. um, so worth talking a little bit about the the, the genesis of cutover. Um mm-hmm. Founders have a, a background in orchestration of large change events. Um, mm. uh, our CEO worked in the space industry. Mm. Um, our chief product officer worked, um, you know, on some some very large products, the rollout of of mobile phone networks in the UK, mm. um, and they really wanted to provide the same level of instrumentation that they experienced in those industries for technology change. Um, mm. And I think you know it's interesting that change can be defined quite broadly, it is. Um, and that led us to focusing in, focusing in on three different areas. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Technology resilience, so as you said, disaster recovery, cyber recovery, yes. uh, cloud migration, um, okay. you know, increasingly organizations are, are moving workloads to, to uh, public cloud, mm. um, and also platform implementation. So, and that's, uh, you know, your stereotypical large, large change event. Mm. Um, and I think you know the, our platform supports sort of all of the activities associated with those with those large change events, and, and you know mm. provides some good instrumentation. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this in uh, as, as we go on. Um, mm. But I guess sort of first question: Why would we see technology resilience as as yeah. change? And I think you know our, our view that proving resilience and, and mm. allowing flexibility to cope with unexpected activities is quite often. Happen as a result of change, correct? Um, you know, is is, is needed for, for large organizations, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you'll you'll know this as well that something like a DC test or something they, they run as large changes. Um, it does a lot of moving parts, a lot of people participating, a lot of visibility on on mm. those activities. Um, so customers use us to uh, to prove their activities, to measure mm. those activities, to improve them, and then go around that sort of virtuous cycle um, mm. again. Um, I think it's probably worth just talking about, um, you know, a couple of sort of philosophical parts of, of yeah, you why know, we think something like is a you know, a, a good thing. Um, I think we, we 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 certainly believe that everyone that's participating in an, in an event should understand yeah. the context of what they're doing in relation to all of the other activity and, and everything else that, that, that's going on. Mm them um mm. so it's probably fair to say we're not fans of the single owner of the virtual clipboard you know where one yeah. person's going, around and going are you done are you done yeah. um you know we want um you know an individual to understand that you know if, if, if i'm late on completing my activity and somebody else is dependent upon me I, I can see the impact but also that person could also see what's mm. going on with me and so Mm-hmm. Um, you know, visibility in, into what's going on, I think, is a you know, is a key sort of tenet of our mm-hmm. of our offering. Um, yeah. So I guess, sort of, just perhaps to, to sort of summarize, um, you know, it's it's a place where the work can be defined um, mm-hmm. and assigned, whether to people or machines. And I'm sure we'll talk about automation and, and the part that that plays. Yes, lays. yes, um, a place where work can be visualized and assess the progress of that work. Um, mm-hmm. And a place also where those responsible for that work can mm. course correct as, as things happen. We, we know that events and also responses to incidents don't go mm. in the way that we anticipate, in the way that mm. we think they should mm. do. Um, mm. And also, and this sort of ties a little bit into why we've had some success with financial services organisations, right. is it's a place where work and activities are audited. Um, and correct. so you can see who did what and when and how mm. long you know, certain activities took Mm. and and provide that evidence should you need to to regulators and the board and and the like. Mm. Mm. Hopefully that's a a good sort of summary
0: of what Cutover is. Absolutely, absolutely. See, um, I've been in this space for a long time and um, one of the the things that we always look forward to, Darren, is like how can I or how can we simplify our... uh, technology resilience processes, right? So uh, you can do automation. um, And there's a difference between an automation and orchestration, right? So automation is basically, um, you know, trying to automate the technical tasks that's there. But orchestration is something like you you bring all the processes in the technology resilience, be it like a failover or a failback or a communication during the actual uh, testing, right? So... Uh, orchestration is always a puzzle for us when we conduct these kind of uh, uh, technology resiliency testing and even during the live situation as well right like uh, we do a lot of testing but it is it is prone to human errors um, and uh, whatever we do the analysis and testings prior right how much of that will actually be um, you know useful during the actual disasters right so orchestration and automation actually plays a very good role and um, you know uh, the products like cutover not only cutover we have Mm a lot of products i think um, coming into the market now and capturing uh, this space is actually a welcome move i would say that uh, you know uh, it brings um, uh, a lot of easiness to people like technology resiliency consultants or disaster recovery managers, business continuity managers who are working uh, very closely on the technology front, right? So it brings a lot of uh, easiness in in doing this uh, kind of disaster recovery testings. And as you said, right? So also it it also helps in um, you know governance, right? And and providing the DR reports to our auditors as well. So yeah, good introduction and uh, thank you for giving that overview, uh, Darren. Right. So let's move on. Um, So I want to still be with you on the cutover as a product, right? And and the team that uh, was behind this. So I wanted to also ask you, like, what challenges did you and your team face while uh, developing the cutover? Right. So can you just give us an overview about that? And how did you overcome them? Because like you being a product manager, I believe you have been part of developing number of core modules within the uh, cutover. So do you want to give more elaborate about what kind of those situations were and how did you cre- overcome them to give us a good product?
1: Yeah. And, and there's, there's probably a couple of couple of areas I'd, I'd touch on. I think one to talk about first is, is to one to scale and it's a nice problem to have. Um, so mm-hmm. we've had the, the sort of the problem and the challenge of uh, of growing quickly. Um, yeah. When I joined the firm about six years ago, we were about 20 employees, and <laughs> yeah. we've grown rapidly since then, and, and particularly through COVID. And I think that's, mm. that's probably true of a, a, a bunch of technology organizations. Um, so we've we've had the sort of the problems of you know the challenges of scale as an organization, but but also in the product as well. So mm.
0: um,
1: I think our original view had been that a, a runbook, which is our, our yeah. sort of primary unit of, of execution. Um, You know, one that had, say, 250 tasks, that would be Mm. typical and that would be quite large. And, you know, Mm -hmm. anything that was much larger than that, that would probably be unusual. Um, But you won't be surprised to hear now that we've got customers that are in the tens of thousands um, and also executing events with thousands of runbooks for a single event Mm. uh, with thousands Mm -hmm. of people participating. And so we've had this nice challenge of... Uh, of, of ensuring that, that, that the product is functionally correct mm. and appropriate and, and meets the needs of our customers, but but also the one of scale. And um, you know, we're continuing to work on improving the platform and, and, and supporting mm. our customers as they as they push us to to do more with it. I think mm. the other piece just on this also is is the one of um, having some really good customers who have um, uh, partnered with us on the journey of, of, right. of growing cut over and, and building cut over and i think we we've done pretty well at, at, at hopefully hearing from our customers and then taking feedback and, mm. and building that back into the product and and we've got some very close relationships with some um some very well-known um uh, organizations um and, and that that's been good as a product manager yeah. you want to hear that feedback you want mm. to say wouldn't it be great if your product did x um that that's always good um the the sort of the the, the, the pleasure of it also comes in hearing that customers have done something completely different with the products and, and you hadn't mm. even envisaged them, them using it that way. And some of those are not about resilience at all. Um, yeah. We've been quite surprised by, uh, uh, we've got one particular customer who are very, very good at pushing the bounds of what the product can do. And and, and that's great okay. from, a, from a product manager standpoint. It's great to yes. see customers do that. Uh, all right. so,
0: yeah. Sure. Sure. Great. So, scalability, as you told, was one of the challenges that you faced and mm-hmm. uh, also getting the feedback um, from the customers and iterating again back to the product is one of the other challenges. Yeah, I mean, this is something like universal, right? I mean, uh, we have mm-hmm. to live with that. And um, and, uh, and as a product manager, I think it, sh- it should have been a great, you uh, know, good thing to solve uh, for, for the end customers, I would say. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so uh, Darren, let's talk about now on more with respect to the broader orchestration um, you know uh, the, the what what it, what it actually means here so could you provide an overview of what orchestration means uh, with respect to technology resiliency or disaster recovery right and why it's so important um, to the organizations like right like, again we we spoke about that in the beginning like orchestration automation and all like you know we do we do have an option of doing it manually but according to you how 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 important it is for an organizations to you know get these orchestrations into their technology resiliency piece of it and and can you you know maybe uh, give some potential consequences of inadequate orchestration in a disaster recovery scenario maybe you can explain that yeah,
1: yeah no yes yeah, so, uh, so it's a really good question um you know i guess you know why do we think mm. and believe that orchestration is 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 critical to yeah um, you know, organisations being being prepared to execute on their disaster recovery plans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably call out the the blessing and curse of Excel. Um, so, <laughs> Excel great for some activities, not for others. Um, yeah. You know, in the late '90s, I, as I'm sure others were, you know, our, our service recovery plans were were written in Microsoft Word docs or Excel True. sheets, and and I've seen even recently have seen some in PowerPoint, which is an interesting, um, <laughs> uh, you know, a tool to use to to uh, to have your recovery plans in, um, and and those tools are not well suited to um, managing and visualizing complex interdependencies, um, mm. and also having... Uh, multiple people and teams being uh, orchestrated mm. for a single event. Um, mm. Back in the late 90s, uh, the services that I looked after, we had Microsoft Word uh, documents, uh, and we had uh, our backup was printed off, and they were held in uh, silver cases. We called them battle boxes. Um, yeah. And if the fire alarm went off in the building, somebody had to grab the box and exit with that to make sure we still had our recovery plans. Should we Correct. be unable to get back into the building? Um, thankfully orchestration and, and and recovery plans have moved on you know since since those days mm-hmm. um but i think I'd, I'd probably call out two aspects of orchestration in relation to sars recovery that i think uh, are important mm-hmm. and and the first one is is that of time um mm-hmm. so we we know that time right. is important um Metrics like uh, mean time to recovery, um, RTA, RTO—they they, they deal with measuring how long a set of actions um, takes to, to complete. Um, so, so a measure like RTO obviously defines the um, the objective for completion, and that's typically driven by the criticality of the, the service that it represents or or that it's underpinning the business services that it's underpinning. Um, and then we use RTA, um, you know, to to measure what we actually did when we proved out our recovery plans. Um, or indeed in response to an incident, mm. to see how well we performed against that objective. Mm. Um, I'd say it's not necessarily enough to look after the fact. I think you want mm-hmm. to be able to, as you're executing and as mm. you're progressing through that activity, to say, look, I, th- I thought I was going to take 15 minutes to recover my application. Am mm-hmm. I still on track for that, based on the, the tasks and the activities I, I, I've got to, to meet that activity? If you're doing that just for one application, that's a fairly straightforward um, activity. When you scale that up and you're doing it for hundreds, if not thousands, correct, to the loss of a, a DC or loss of access to a public cloud region, it becomes a much more complex activity yes. to, to 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 manage and to, you know and to, um, to to scale up to. Um, you know, pretty soon, you know, uh, delays in one piece have knock-on effects all the way down the chain, and and before you know it, you're you're into mm-hmm. sort of not just hours, but but potentially days to actually complete that I- event. And mm. I would say that's certainly been our experience. Um, as surprising it is, we, we still come across um, customers who uh, have been unable to complete a successful primary data centre failover because they've wow. not been able to do it within that sort of Saturday a.m. to Sunday p.m. window. Correct. Um, and and in some cases, with respect to recovery plans, they're not well-defined and not they're not able mm. to measure them. And so demonstrating to the board and, and regulators, if that's appropriate, um, they can meet their, their RTOs is, is quite a challenging activity. Mm. Um, so time's one of those those pieces. If you orchestrate well, you understand the moving parts, you understand how long things are taking, you also understand mm. uh, if, if there are delays or, or challenges, what, what the knock-on impact is, and you can do that real-time rather than necessarily sort of doing the traditional wash-up and, and look backwards to say... Mm. We thought this was going to take about eight hours. It took twelve hours. Why did it? You, you can you can hopefully course correct and mm. bring that twelve hours back in to be ten or nine or eight. Mm. Um, you know, and so, mm. it, being able to assess time, uh, real time, not just after the fact, I, I think is important. Um, mm. And then I guess the, the other piece I'd call out, just in terms of orchestration, disaster recovery, is is the the notion of unexpected activity. I mean, th- mm. this is why we rehearse and that we we plan correct. and we prepare. Um, As far as we're able to, we we understand that we're not going to be able to to create scenario-based plans for for every scenario. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I I guess we we have a view that the activities that you might orchestrate are probably split into sort of three groups. Um, Mm -hmm. We call them canned, planned uh, and unplanned. Um, So your your canned activities are things you might do, like starter day checks, health checks, you know, they're, they're very well defined um, they're not going to deviate day to day. You're going to do the same thing again and again. Um, planned activities are, are something like a DC test or a, you know a, a simulating the loss of a, a cloud region, um, and that's 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 planned. You know the set of activities. You set your dependencies. You're going to orchestrate those activities to, to demonstrate that you can you can deal with that scenario. And then the third is unplanned. Um, so. Yeah you know, think of an incident and the activities that you might need to execute in response to that incident, typically unknown, but definitely requiring a coordinated and orchestrated response. And I'm sure you, you know, participate in incidents where it's been a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy, the fog of war Mm. has ended and and it it gets a little hard to sort of, you know, sort of fight your way out. Um, And I think, you know, so in, in, in that case, again, and this kind of comes a little bit back to the time point it's important to restore services as quickly as possible so I guess that's our sort of philosophy if you like in terms of orchestration why we think orchestration is important in something like disaster recovery because it is complex there are Mm -hmm. dependencies there are people involved and wherever there are people involved there are the opportunities for people to go off in different directions and so providing those those guardrails that that Mm -hmm hope that recovery plans you know and mm. construction responses to incidents and um, provides yeah. should, should help mitigate some of that
0: yeah um just to add whatever you've told uh, uh, darren you're you right actually see um people are the main um, i would say culprits i would say like you know for mm-hmm. having uh, um you know from from having a good plan and execution to a wrong plan and a wrong execution, right? So yeah. the more we actually take out uh, the people, people in the sense like who's doing the uh, actual activity of uh, the failover and the failback or the you know any activities that we have, you will have good amount of success ratios in your disaster recovery testing as well as your um, overall resiliency as well, right? So orchestration brings in this unique uh, flavor into it by, as you you told, right, the Excel sheets are no more, it's it's actually becoming um, very difficult to manage at scale when you still have these Excel sheets and uh, documents in place to manage your exact technology resiliency. That's where orchestration actually plays a role um me personally i have seen uh, you know uh, the the advantages of 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 you know uh having a plan in place and you can execute it uh using actually a tool or even you know using you, you, can, you can orchestrate within the organization itself right i mean it, there are a lot of products available as well but you can still orchestrate within the organizations by having your in-house team to find some certain processes and and you know go ahead and then doing it so uh We have come a long way, but I still feel organizations can still go ahead and then do those uh, studies where they can take out these uh, human interventions and then do the uh, orchestration pieces, you know, using um, tools, softwares, whatever they could. So, yeah, and it plays a major role in uh, ensuring that the SLAs are being met, like our RTAs and RTOs that we have told, which is very, very, very critical for our, uh, you know, technology resilient consultants, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's move on um, to our topics, uh, Darren. Um, mm. Again, I want to also uh, ask you like, can you walk us through some hypothetical scenario, like you know for my audience, where a business faces a disruption and how orchestration can help in guiding the recovery process? We talked about what is orchestration is and what exactly do uh, they do. But if you can give some examples out of it? I think it'll add more value to my audience. Would you like to give any specific examples on how it can help us out?
1: Yes, no, I'd, I'd love to. Um, I probably touched on a little bit of this already, but let me walk you through a maybe hypothetical scenario. Yeah, uh, I'd say maybe because I may have experienced this myself. <laughs> okay. um, let's take the scenario of a, a cyber attack, um, and you know, a, a bad actor has has gained access to data stores and, and, and files mm. and so on, and the process of encrypting through ransomware has, has yes. begun. Um, I, if I can talk you through um, maybe what might have happened and then maybe mm-hmm. what should have happened. Um, so in, in this particular case, um, maybe your response is to see this activity happening and, and, and think, what I've got to do, I've just got to start yanking cables out. So mm. um, let's take those servers off the network so, so at least we stop the encryption in, in, in its tracks straight Correct. away. Um, you've then got a series of activities though to, to get yourself back to, to sort of normal operation, and mm-hmm. you know if you if you follow sort of NIST guidelines and you're doing your standard detect, contain, eradicate, and and then recover, mm-hmm. um, you know you may well need to do something like a, a bare metal recovery to res- restore Correct. back from scratch, um, back to a last known good state, um, and, and obviously you'll spend a bunch of time trying to work out. You know, yes. what the point was at which the um, the infection happened and and what's, yes. what's the, the you know the last non infected state you have um, it, it's you know bare metal recovery is not an activity you're likely to perform on a regular basis um, hmm. I, I think uh, I think fed say organizations are getting better at that I think some are, some are better than others Um but, you know, particularly where you've got um, in-house hardware, uh, on-prem hardware, and particularly where you've got bespoke hardware. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: One of the companies I, I, I worked at, we had um, uh, an Oracle Exadata installation, particularly mm. at the time it was cutting edge. Um, you know, we had to do some weird and wonderful things within the data center to allow for, for the right amount of cooling and, and, and so on. And, and they were expensive. Mm. Um, and so to do a bare metal... Uh, restore just for yes. a test. You've got to have the same environment somewhere Absolutely. else. You're probably doing not, not too much. And and that's an expensive thing to do. So um, so that activity tends to be um, rarely practiced. Um, Correct. It tends to be harder to, to, um, to schedule that for, for mm. a whole bunch of app teams. And to the degree that you've got a variety of patterns of infrastructure that adds complexity and, and obviously, exactly. it, it, you know, sort of forces you to have to maintain copies of, of all of these different uh, mm. setups to, to actually test mm. on. Mm. Um, so, you know, I guess to sort of summarize what you would need to do just in terms of restoration, you know, you need to do some analysis. You need to work out where you got to. Correct. You need a plan to restore the impacted applications and services. Um, one of the interesting things we're seeing as well is is that customers are looking at bare metal recovery, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um through the lens of important business services, and saying, "I've defined my important business services. I, I've defined those services that are mm. key to the operation of the organization that we will cause intolerable harm to to you know to our end customers if we don't think about this. Correct. And think about a severe but plausible scenario, which is ransomware. And and mm. you know, so we're, we're increasingly seeing that. So that's an interesting sort of mm. lens to look look through this on. Mm. Um, coming back to how orchestration helps." Um, Mm-hmm. That scenario I described of, um, you know, uh, ransomware attack and encryption and then having to restore, in my hypothetical scenario, yes. the same thing happened again four weeks later. And the first thing that this hypothetical team did was to say, what did we do last time? And, right. you know, the lack of having that uh, sequence of, you know, of instructions as, as to what to do or even the lessons learned mm. from that was the one, um, you know, led to a quite a messy orchestration the second time around. If it was right. not messy already the first time around, so I think you know, having and maybe we'll touch a little bit on sort of muscle memory later on. But but having yes. something you can fall back on that mm. you've done many times over, or as many times as you're able to, right? Um, gives you that sense of uh, of confidence. So it, you know, talked about the sort of the fog of war and, and how difficult it can be. And I think. Providing something to lean on, even if it's not the totality of your response, mm. I think mm. is, is helpful for people. As you as you quite rightly said, you know, people are people, <laughs> um, you know, and and you know anything that that we can do to to aid, correct, uh, you know, our staff in 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 recovering services and, mm. and giving them something to lean on and to, and to fall back on, I think is, you know, is is a good thing to do.
0: Exactly, valid point, Darren. What orchestration? does is that it's not going to solve your problem of coming out of ransomware attacks already it cannot going to solve your problems that no ransomware is not going to be attacked by you know implementing orchestration but what it's going to do is that uh, if you have a plan in place already right uh, which has been tested or which has been uh, there already and you know you have a plan in place and you have done some level of testing around it you can orchestrate it or automate it um, in a way that it's going to perform like what you have done in the testing part maybe manually or whatever uh, you know in the in in way that you want to do so that is the value that it can provide you and saving you that time which is very critical during the actual crisis Right, uh, the board is going to ask you like how much time. I always get the same questions, Darren. Like from from the board, like they don't they don't care about, you know, uh, what kind of work that we do in the background. How quickly you can recover my services to my clients. So that is the whole motive of the board or for the CEO or the you know, CIO, whomsoever it is, right. So if you can give a target definite timeline, okay, I can recover it, I have done this testing in the past, and I'm pretty confident that it's going to be recovered by using my orchestration strategies, by testing this in definite amount of time, maybe an hour, two hours, three hours a day, whatever it is, right. And that will give a lot of confidence to the board, and they can take it up and then take some other decisions along the way out of it. Yeah. So that's where the real advantage of, you know, orchestration plays a role. I, I hope you agree with me on that as well, right?
1: No, I, absolutely. And I think, you know, as, as we touched on, I think that's that's where, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Bank of England and the FCA and PRA, they're sort of the definition of important business service I think that's why it's so helpful because it it, it forces, I'm not saying organizations weren't doing this, but it certainly forces that, that thinking about what, what does this mean to my, to mm. my end customer, I, yes, there's a focus on what does this mean for, for me as an organization in terms of being out of the market. Are we going to lose yeah. lose money, lose revenue, um, you know, suffer reputational loss? Um, but but also thinking through what does it mean for uh, the end user of the services that I'm providing. It's, it's a helpful way to to sort of encourage organizations to think
0: through that lens. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I have a flip question now. We have been talking about orchestration, but I want to also ask or discuss with you, Darren here, um, how can organizations strike a balance between an orchestration or an automated process and the need for human decision making, right? I mean, it also plays a crucial role during the crisis, right? I mean, um, what are all the benefits and potential pitfalls? Right, by having an orchestration alone or an human centric approach alone, according to you, and how can we strike a balance between, you know, completely automating it or completely having a human decision making? How can we bring a balance between these two, according to you? Yeah,
1: I, I think it's 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 fair to say that we've um, certainly seen a move towards automating more activities. That that's mm. um, not unexpected. Um, that's been happening for for some time now. And and particularly automating those low-value activities. So Mm -hmm. those activities that you've got people doing um, that are probably expensive to have a person do, but but much cheaper to have a machine in inverted commas, um, you know, and you know, automate that that work away. Um, I think as you quite rightly say, you know, we we want humans to be involved in the things that humans are good at, those sort of (laughs) decision-making, those sort of softer side of things. Um, And it is interesting though that there is a clear desire. From organisations uh, to automate, um, and in some cases, and I, I have heard this, they'll set desire. I, I want this thing, this activity, this process mm. to be one hundred percent automated. Mm. And I'm not sure in the very short term we'll see mm. the sort of proverbial big red button that says "fail data centre over, move my you know thousand plus services that are in this primary site over to my secondary site and, and do it with a click of a button." I, I'm not sure we'll see that in the short term. Exactly. Um, but I do think we will see more and more automation of those canned responses you know we're talking mm. about sort of planned and unplanned so there's canned activities that are well defined and well understood mm. um, I do think we'll see more and more of that that automated um, so, so an example let, let's um, let's say your, your logging software has, has detected a particular issue with an application the issue is understood mm. and I guess more importantly the resolution to that issue is understood, mm. um, then it should be a straightforward activity to kick off the response mm. or recovery activity to that particular scenario. So mm. I think we'd say you know automate those things that are uh, well understood, mm. where you've got well defined responses to known scenarios. Mm. Um, and even if your overall response to a to a crisis or incident isn't known in the sense mm. of it is unknown, we, we've not seen this before, then I th- I suspect you'll probably have pieces of your response that are known. So you may have um, an, it, I've got to restore from a, a, a backup, correct from the data store, right? I, I know that activity, it, it might be the only thing I do know in the context of everything else going on. But I do know that I've got to correct to restore from that backup. Uh, I may have to issue a, a standard set of comms following an incident being declared of a certain criticality. Again, mm. you'll know the audience, you'll know the type of message, it may vary according to what the incident mm. is. But, but automate that, that activity. Hmm. Um, performing start-a-day or health checks, we, we, we've talked about Correct. that. Those are activities that tend to be uh, well-defined. They tend to be the same set of checks that you're going to execute hmm. each start of day to make sure that your environment is ready and fit for purpose, automate that, that away. Hmm. Um, and I think also potentially automating the validations that you might execute to to ensure you've had a successful recovery. Um, mm. In some cases, you need um, you need a, a business user to book a, a one cent trade that flows through from your trading system all the way down through your back office systems, um, and to the degree that you can automate that, mm. automate that activity. Mm. Um, I, I think what we expect is you, you know you want people you want that sort of humans in the loop um, yes. to make decisions about what to execute and when, and as I said, pass off those those well defined. Uh, well understood responses to no uh, scenarios. Automate those activities. Um, hmm. I think the other thing, just in terms of pitfalls, I would potentially call out, and this may be an obvious thing to say, is is one a cost? There's there's hmm. a cost to automating uh, your activities. There's a cost to having your your service run um, with uh, with no interruption to service following the loss of um, exactly data you center know, or region or regional, whatever. There's a cost to that, and I think. Hmm. Organizations rightly balance the cost of architecting exactly. versus the likelihood point. of that issue happening, versus the cost of the activity you should have to execute in response, and that there is a mm. balance to be struck, mm. typically around the criticality of the the service or application that you are architecting. Um, and yeah. but there's a, there's a balance there, so that's why I say automate away those low value things, and, and to the degree mm. that you want to automate the difficult stuff, mm. do that if it makes sense in terms of cost and so on uh, in mm. terms of your in terms of your application state.
0: Valid, valid points, uh, Darren. I think you brought in the very valid point about the cost as well, right? Not all organizations require to do an automation and orchestration, right? Depends. It depends upon if you're okay to maybe wait for a week, why do we need to do an automation around it? Like, you know, you can still go ahead and then take decisions on your own terms and then, uh, you know, bring up the services of the alternate side. Um, but if a bank or uh, if any financial organizations are looking forward to have millis-against responses or millis-against recovery solutions, right? So that's where the automation and orchestration plays a huge role in in developing those solutions, valid points. Okay. Um, I know you're working for uh, an orchestration company, Cutover, but I also wanted to ask you, Darren, an important question. What considerations should organizations keep in mind when selecting a tool or a platform to facilitate orchestration in disaster recovery? Like, are there any specific features and capabilities that are particularly important uh, to look forward to in these tools? Uh, any thoughts around it? Yeah, I,
1: I think we we probably touched on some of the considerations already. Um, I, I think you know that that tool or, or platform should be able to. Um, orchestrate complex interdependencies, lots of moving parts, a multitude mm. of people participating. I think we, we spoke already, haven't we, about how Excel is not well suited to that activity. Mm. Um, I think the ability for a for a given event to understand uh, mm. your progress, um, how you're actually progressing against your your forecast, mm. um, as I said, during execution, but but also after the event as well. Um, I think being able to identify opportunities for improvement as you execute mm. and after execution. So you, you you ought to be able to look at the activities that you've performed and, and look how long uh, activities took. You know, did I, uh, was I waiting on on Fred to start his, yeah. his task and his task was ready to go, but he took 20 minutes to actually start it. Maybe I want to drill into that a little bit and find out, you know, mm-hmm. was he on another task and I, I could have aligned my resources better or was it the case that he just wasn't paying attention? In which yeah. case, I need to notify him a little bit better. Um, and so look for those opportunities um, for improvement. Um, I think you should be able to uh, capture and define the set of activities by application and service. Um, mm. we, we know that um, invariably um, large organizations tend to use a, um, a a large ITSM tool, CMDB platform, such as ServiceNow or um uh, BMC Remedy or service management or something like that um, and so organizations tend to work with that definition of the the technology service in front of them and, and so that you know the, the tool or platform should align to that and be able to um, you know pull in data as necessary and, and, and structure mm. in a way that, that represents mm. the, the way organizations deal with technology services um, I think you know and I'm, I'm bound to sort of call this out I think the ability to to measure your RTA and compare back to RTO
0: mm. and to do
1: that without having right. to rely on somebody going, I think we started that at 5 past 12 and I think we finished it mm. at twelve thirty, but I'm not sure. You want that sort of tight instrumentation. Um, one, one of the services I looked after in my previous role was a payments application for mm. uh, derivatives trading. My RTO was 15 minutes for that. Um, and you can mm. see how a five-minute delay in one piece mm. and, you know, it <laughs> <to do that laughs> up and, then, you know, soon ends up with you, with you yeah. breaching your, your RTO. So the ability to measure what you're actually doing, whether that be in rehearsal test or, or actually in response, um, yes. and compare that back to, to RTO, I think is important. And I think we, you know, we've touched on this just in terms of some of those organizations that have the sort of regulatory burden on top of them. But I think this is important anyway, irrespective of that, is about auditing. And um, you know when was that activity performed? How long did it take? Who performed it? Um, how long did it take versus forecast? All of that, you know, uh, usual stuff. I think that's important to, to ensure that the the platform is auditing all of that activity. Um, I know through previous that's employment nice. and through, through through customers that you always mm. want the ability to see who did what and when <laughs> in the platform mm. to ensure you can go back and ask good questions about what were they thinking at mm. the time they did that and and all all of that good stuff. And then I think lastly, the ability to integrate with with other platforms. We Correct. recognize that. The golden source for CI data is likely to be something like a service now. Um, Absolutely, so All that data in and, and, and make use of it. Um, but also, we recognise that organisations will have made investments in tools like Ansible to, mm. to do some degree of orchestration. So, I think being able to make use of the um, the, the effort and the expense that an organisation has necessarily put into tools like that is is um, you know sh- should be possible, mm. and then comms as well. Um, we use Slack as an organization. Many of our customers use Microsoft Teams. Um, so the ability to integrate with those types of platforms, um, I, I think is is also key to make use of the comms tooling that an organization has necessarily bought and, and paid for and, and is the standard within their organization.
0: Perfectly said, uh, Darren. Good points. I think uh, I asked my audience to please rewind back and then, Please hear out what Darren has told about, um, you know, how do you go about selecting a product uh, like an orchestration tool? All are valid points. Personally, I have felt it. Whatever I had in my mind, absolutely good thoughts on whatever Darren has told. Before I pivot to something else, Darren, I want to ask you one question or one discussion points with you is that, what do you see as an emerging trend coming out for future IT disaster recovery and technology resilience? How do you envision the future of disaster recovery and, and um, what developments are currently being done that is getting a significant impact to our field?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm going to call out four and I'll try and be rapid as I as I go through those. Um, the, the first is cloud, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's clearly a, a move um, of organizations from on-prem sites, whether owned by themselves or leased from from a, a provider, um, towards public cloud, AWS, mm-hmm. Azure, GCP. Um, th- there was a time when, particularly financial services firms, wouldn't entertain that at all. You know, it's it's our data, it's it's you know our IP. It needs to sit within our own facilities, and I, I think that that has changed and is changing. Um, so a move to cloud. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know the one thing just to call out there is just because it's in the cloud doesn't necessarily make it resilient. Um, There are certainly advantages in in, in that sense, but I think if you think about the public cloud provider as someone else's data center, um, you'll you'll approach it in in the right way. Um, Secondarily, um, chaos engineering. So, you know, we've talked about this um, this sort of large scale tests of, um, and and, and to be fair, you know, a a test of a loss of a region is a form of chaos testing. Right. the organizations we have, you know, they are simulating something in production. They're simulating mm. the loss of the primary data center in production by applying a network ACL to simulate that loss to, to the network. Correct. Um, so it is a form of chaos engineering. Um, Very interesting. Bit, yep. to call it that way. Yeah. But I think what we'll, we'll see is more testing and proving of resilience at point of deployment to production. So mm. deployed to production, um, and we're still meeting the, the, the targets and, and, mm. and so on. And um, you know, we, we work closely with, a you know, a, a number of people, we, we see, um, something like AWS Resilience Hub as a, a really interesting service to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to sort of have, have a look at, you know, so you can point that at the definition for your mm-hmm. application or service. You can define your RTO and RPO and say, based on my architectural definition held in Terraform or, or, or wherever else, um, am I going to meet that? And, mm-hmm. um, Uh, AWS Resilience Hub will provide some some good information as to whether you will and some suggestions of what you might need to change about your architecture to meet if you don't. Um, I think there's probably a good debate to be had as to whether RTO um, specifically is just about the architectural definition Mm. and not necessarily about that plus maybe some of the activities that go alongside business validation and so on to prove that the service has recovered but that's probably a conversation for another time yeah um so yeah so it's a case engineering um thirdly um this is an interesting one zero notice testing um so wow. nice i think it's fair to say that um for particularly for the large organizations mm. that have complex estates preparing for a test um, yes. can be a, a significant activity and can be in the weeks and mm. you know we, we've certainly seen customers reduce the time to, mm. to, to plan um, and we also have um, you know, customers that are, have expressed a desire to get to a point where they, they could do a zero notice test. Um, yeah. I suspect they're not going to do that in the middle of the trading day, but <laughs> it would be interesting to see if that, you know, on a Saturday morning at 8am, they invoke um, and say, yeah. right, we're running a test nice. of our primary data center in the UK, um, you've got an hour to get your stuff together and get ready and we're gonna go at nine o'clock and, and see how see how um the organization behaves. And that that probably moves us away slightly from technology resilience, but also seeing how resilient people are. Um, exactly. If you know, they're, they're not prepared for it, if they're traveling, you know, if they are out with yes. families or whatever it may be, you know, ha- how resilient are people, because people, as we talked about, are, are, yes a key part of that that equation. Um I suspect how close organizations get to zero notice is probably going to come down to how willing they are to to stress their organization and to to stress their staff as well in that Correct. and um there'll probably be some some good sort of baby steps along the way but but yeah. certainly I think the, a recognition that whilst uh, you may be able to successfully prove you can recover a data center uh following a you know a total loss type scenario the question that doesn't always seem to get asked is, but how long did it take you to prepare for that? Mm. And so to reduce that preparation time, I think is is important as well. And then the last one, and this is probably a little bit more financial services oriented, is, is about mm-hmm. regulation. Um, there okay. is more and more. Um, we, we've talked about uh, important business services and Bank of England. There's yeah. DORA in, in the EU. Um, the Monetary Authority of Singapore have got a similar set of regulations. The Fed do as well. Um, you know, it, it's... It, it, and, and for good reason that you know the regulators are interested in protecting end customers and, and so they are expecting uh, certainly financial services organizations to look at their technology estate and, yeah. and their preparedness for unexpected events to the same degree that they've done in recent years and say yeah. how are you prepared for a, an exceptional financial event um, you know mm. interest rates going up to 10 percent 15 percent you know a run on the bank or whatever it may be and so there's a good healthy interest in how Provision of technology is is, mm. you know, is meeting to end customers, and I think that's that's no bad thing, whether you are regulated or not.
0: Correct. Wow, superb, superb uh, points. All the points, uh, uh, Darren, very well said. All are valid and uh, very interesting as well. I would say that you know some of the things that you have just mentioned about. Okay, um, I'm going to pivot now to some very uh, fun part of my podcast, which is called as uh, the resilience fire right? So I asked some questions to you. Uh, it's not scripted, you know that. So the questions are not known to Darren. So um, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm expecting an instantaneous answers from you, uh, Darren. Are you ready for it?
1: Let's Let's go. Let's see how well I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, my first resilience quickfire to you. Your favorite tech innovation? Oh my goodness. Uh,
1: databases.
0: hmm Nice, I think we should have a separate podcast on that. I think it'll be yes. interesting. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, next one. One word to describe your journey in tech. Well,
1: uh, 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 I, <laughs> can I use two. It's a, it's a constant learning.
0: <laughs> right, right. Oh, you you did a good job there. Okay, um, okay. The next, the book that inspired your resilience. Or a movie uh, or anything. Yes.
1: No, no. So, so this is a good one. So th- this is a, a, a great read. Um, it's called The Checklist Manifesto um, by mm-hmm. a doctor called uh, Atul Gawande. Um, and it talks mm-hmm. through his experience of implementing checklists in the domain of surgery and how mm-hmm. beneficial it was. And so just from a how you can be prepared for certain scenarios and the guardrails that that helps and human mm. behavior and how that works. It, it, it's a fascinating read. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to, to go read that. It, it is a really good read.
0: Great. Okay. Next, best advice for handling setbacks, you know, personal that's, resilience.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that, that's why I I said constant learning. Learn, it, mm. learn. look back and, and, and mm. see what you can learn from that. I think, mm. um, you know, my, my learning, we were talking about this uh, bit before we started, um, we, we had a failed attempt at, at, at talking <laughs> last week um, when I lost power and then internet um, at, at, my, at my house. And yeah. um, the learning point for me there was the fact that my neighbors have all got generators <laughs> uh, points me towards needing to get a generator. Um, yeah. So I think looking at your experiences, good or bad, and, mm. and uh, seeing what you can learn from them.
0: Nice. Very nice. This is an interesting question now. Biggest lesson from developing cutover? Uh,
1: uh, don't be surprised by how customers take your product uh, <laughs> in the sense of what direction they take it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, look for those customers that are going to push the bounds of, of the use mm. of the platform, both in terms mm. of, as we touched on, scale, but also in terms of functionally what mm. they do with it. Um, mm. I, I think... Um, being being a good partner for those organisations and supporting them in their in their disaster recovery and technology resilience journey is it, it has been great for us and we, we've learned an awful lot along the way.
0: Okay, the last two, your personal mantra for staying strong.
1: Uh, it's not about me; it's about others. And I think wow. if I think about others first, um, then I think that that provides strength and and, and strength for others more than me. So I think that's that's my personal um, philosophy.
0: Very well put. My last question to you, Darren, your resilience role model.
1: uh, Oh, there's a question. Um, What I will say is I I had some very good um, managers um, when I worked Mm -hmm. uh, at a a UK investment bank um, and Mm -hmm. they they instilled in the, the the sort of the learn philosophy, if you like, that I had, which mm. is to look at what you uh, should be doing, carrying on doing, what you should stop doing, and here are some mm. things you should start doing. I had one great manager. Uh, mm. She was excellent at, at that. And um, that certainly helped me from a resilience standpoint, which is to, to your point about personal resilience. And I think mm. hopefully that makes its way out into how we deal with technology resilience.
0: Correct. Wow that's it so we have come to the end of our podcast darren what an absolute amazing uh, discussions that we had a lot of takeaways i would personally take away from this podcast we learned a lot on uh, what is orchestration what can organizations look forward to on on, on on orchestrations and how can they better themselves you know by implementing these strategies and techniques so great learning from you uh, darren um, before we end the show, I want to ask you, like, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best medium to do it and how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, um, so LinkedIn is always good. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Darren Lee. I'm, I'm probably one of the few Darren Lees on there. <laughs> um, but failing that, obviously, via, via our website, cutover.com, is, is a good way to, to get in touch. Um, and I'd be more than happy to, to talk with anyone
0: sure i'm going to put your uh, linkedin uh, profile in my show notes as well as the cutover website in my show notes as well so that they can take these conversations forward and have it with you uh, you know and and have these wonderful conversations on whatever we had just now thank you so much for being part of my show uh, it's been a pleasure having you darren have a wonderful day see you then bye thank you likewise it's been a pleasure